I want to talk about something for, I, I think it's going to take us a little while now to, um, to go through this, because it goes to the very heart of who we are. It goes to the very heart of who Cheryl and I are. But I believe it goes to the very heart of God. Because I believe there is a decision point that we are right in in this nation right now. And we as a church are representative of that decision point. I'll explain what I mean. Basically, this, this, this series or whatever that I'm going to do, uh, I'm not sure whether it's a series or it's prophecy or whatever, but what it, whatever it is, it's called flow. How to flow with the Holy Spirit. Now, that might seem like, oh, it's one of those charismatic things that we come up with a title. No, it's about the future of the church in this land. And as a church, we are known in this city, amongst other churches, as being the one that has stood for the Holy Spirit, that has stood for healing, that has stood for the miraculous for 10 years now. So we were 10 last week, by the way, just in case you were... Just in case you'd like to know, we, we, we passed the 10-year mark. Are we? We're having a cake at the next... This is news to me. Okay. Right. Let me, um, let me read you something. I've got, I've got it here because I want to do it accurately. Because um, this is probably... I don't know. Whenever you, people talk about prophecy, whenever they talk about what they are looking for God to do in our generation, in our time, you know, starting now, starting going into our future. Whenever they talk about what they're looking for, this prophecy always comes up. And it was given by a man who was, God used incredibly in the miraculous in the UK and the US. He was a plumber from Bradford. He had a terrible stammer, but he was hungry for God. And God used him in this nation to raise people from the dead, to heal broken bones, to open blind eyes, to open deaf ears. And God used him incredibly. He was a man called Smith Wigglesworth. And in 19, he's one of my big heroes, mainly because he's a northerner. You know, northerners, clearly the best. They're more anointed than southerners. Come on, if that doesn't get a reaction, what's going to get a reaction? Come on, northerners. Give us a cheer. Right. Are you pretending to be a southerner now, Jess Baines? Right, so this is what he said. So this is 1947. Now, <clears throat> it was actually, it's actually an amalgam of two things that he said. They, they both interrelate. One of them was a conversation that he had with his good friend, a guy called Lester Sumrall. And this is what he said. He, he, was, he was reaching, he, he had this sense that he was at the end of what he had to do. And he said this, uh, Wigglesworth cried, as in tears, not shouted out, cried, said, I probably won't see you again now, my friend, because my job is almost finished. As he continued to pray, he cried out, I see it, I see it. They, they were praying together. And Brother Summerall asked, what do you see, what do you see? And this is what he said. He said, I see a healing revival coming right after World War II. It'll be so easy to get people healed. I see it, I see it. I won't be here for it, but you will. 
And there was a healing revival right after World War II. And it went right through the 50s into the early 60s, led by guys like Oral Roberts, A.A. Allen, Jack Cole, and, and others. And we've actually got Oral Roberts' son coming to us on June the 17th. So that part, that came true. It happened. You know, we, I've shown the black and white movies last year, some of them, of just incredible healings. He continued to prophesy, I see another move coming. I see people at all different denominations being filled with the Holy Spirit. That, that too happened. That is the charismatic renewal. God raised up people during that area, like full gospel businessmen, the charismatic renewal uh, in the US. Charismatic renewal, by the way, in the UK started in Cambridge. Just throw that out there. Just point out the Reformation in the UK started in Cambridge. The mission movement that has spread around the world, the whole missionary movement started in Cambridge. The charismatic renewal started in Cambridge. Now, it might be hard for you to believe, it started in the round church where David Watson was the vicar at the time before he moved to York. That's where it broke out. Um, at that time, there was, uh, there was well in excess of 10% of the students in the university involved in the Christian Union. So, that gives you a sense of it. Then Wigglesworth continued, I see another move of God. I see auditoriums full of people coming with notebooks. There will be a wave of teaching on faith and healing. And that we saw as well. It's called the Word of Faith Movement. And then he said, after that, on the, the, I see, after that third wave, he said, I see in the last day revival that's going to usher in the precious fruit of the earth. It will be the greatest revival this world has ever seen. It's going to be a wave of the gifts of the Spirit. The ministry gifts will be flowing on this planet earth. I see hospitals being emptied. They'll bring the sick to churches and they'll allow the Holy Ghost to move. And then what he did, he... A few days later, in, I think it was, he, he was in Scotland. I'm not really sure on that. But he expanded on that last part. And this is the significant part where I'm going to kick off from this morning. This is what he said. There will be two distinct moves at the end. During the next few decades, there will be two distinct moves of the Holy Spirit across the church in Great Britain. Have we got the recorder on, by the way? The first move will affect every church that is open to receive it and will be characterized by a restoration of the baptism gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's a charismatic move, but it's something more than that. The second move will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. Now, that's what I want you to, to hear. That move was to result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. Now, I, I know that some of you are too young to remember this because you keep reminding me that we look backwards sometimes. But we look backwards to learn what the future can bring and what, 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 what the prophecies are unfolding. And when we look backwards, a lot of us in this room experience that. In the 1970s, 1980s, and through into the early 90s, there was a move of people out of mainstream churches discovering the gifts of the Holy Spirit, getting excited about the power of God, entering into the presence of God, moving in the gifts of the Spirit, and they, they formed house churches. And those house churches might have been only like four or five people. 
I became a member of one when I was at university, a little house church. And we met in, a, in, a, in the, uh, well, it's called the auction mart, but it was basically the abattoir. So we, we, we worshipped like six of us to the smell of blood. It was brilliant because you couldn't get rid of it out of this place, but it was the only place we could get. And um, we were hungry for God. And, and whole, whole God blessed that and whole groups of people grew and expanded and became house churches right across this land. And they were called groups like Covenant Ministries, uh, what was it called before Harvest Time, Cornerstone, Pioneer, New Frontiers, Plumb Line, and it just exploded. This is what he said. The second move of the Holy Spirit will, release, will result in people leaving historic churches and planting new churches. In the duration of each of these moves, the people who are involved will say, this is the great revival. I remember lots of people saying that in the 70s and 80s. This is the great revival. In America, they had their own version. It was called the Jesus Army. And the Jesus people just swept across America, birthed lots of moves of God out there. But the Lord says, no. So this is a guy in 1947 prophesying what we've lived. Neither is this the great revival. It is a step towards it. And then he said this. The new church phase will wane and go back into itself. There will be evidence in the churches... When this happens, there will be evidence in the church is something that's not seen before. A coming together of those with an emphasis on the word and an emphasis on the spirit. When the word and spirit come together, there will be the biggest movement of the Holy Spirit that this nation and indeed the world has ever seen. It will mark the beginning of revival to eclipse anything that's been witnessed within these shores even the Wesleyan and the Welsh revivals of former years. The outpouring of God's Spirit will flow over from the UK to mainland Europe, and from there will begin a missionary move to the ends of the earth. We live in that point of time when the new church movement has waned. I, I was, you know, it's been such a shock to me to see what has happened in the last 10 years. Where, we, you know, because I, I, I remember what it was like and there was this hunger and burning and this, this desire to know more of God and know about him and, and, and step into the miraculous and see people healed, see people set free, see people delivered, see God turn up in our meetings, see him move people, uh, praying in tongues, singing in tongues, all glorious stuff, angels singing with us and, we, and it was so exciting and we were hungry and we're hungry and over time... We forgot because we started building empires instead of it being about him. And you know what really saddens me now is that all those movements that I have named have kicked the Holy Spirit out of their churches. Not, not verbally, they still talk about him, but where's the demonstration of the power? Where's the healings? When do they ever risk putting somebody up at the front and say, I'm going to pray for you and you're going to be healed? When do they prophesy? When do they change, see life change? When do they see people delivered of demonic oppression? You know, it's, for most of us, it's like, 
It's, it's even taboo in some churches to sing out in tongues now because you'll put the lost off. You'll put the lost off. Guys, does God not know what he's doing? Did God send the Holy Spirit to put the lost off? No, he put them the saved off. I'll tell you who it puts off. He puts church people off. And the problem is we're trying to recruit church people to build our numbers, to get our money in, to build our building, to build our empire bigger. And we're in the process we have kicked out the Holy Spirit. And that can no longer be. It cannot be. You, if, we, if we abandon the very one who is God himself, where does it leave us? I'll tell you where it leaves us. It leaves us with a big church. And there's the problem. We can build big churches without God. We can finance big churches without God. We can cycle people through in five or six or seven services a day. And we can feed them a little bit. But that's not going to change our land. I'll tell you what it does, because it does it in Cambridge. It's done it in Cambridge. You know, you, you know it's easy to personalise it, but it's done it right across this nation. What's it done? It shut down churches because people moved to the other churches. It didn't grow the kingdom. It grew the churches. End result for kingdom, nil. You see, Jesus isn't about, I'm going to quote it. There's a guy, and he just said this, and it just really struck me. Because I've heard this so many times. And I've heard people say, it's not about the numbers. And then they'll say, but numbers represent people. So it is about the numbers. And you go, okay, well, I get that. Because the more numbers you've got, the more you can do, the more programs you run, the more things you can put on, the better lighting you can get. We can ex buy an extra smoke machine, all the rest of it. And we can compete with the world. We don't compete with the world. We overcome the world. We take light into the world. Come on. We need to get this. We take light into the world. We don't compete with it. All the smoke machine does is hide the Holy Spirit. It hides the worship team sometimes as well. They can't see them. I know I'm being, I mean, I'm, I'm being deliberately controversial, and the reason I'm being deliberately controversial is this. Because we need to wake up. We need to wake up to what we stand for. Otherwise, we might as well just, honestly, if we are not going to go all out for the power of God and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our midst, I'll tell you what we should do. We should not come here next Sunday... We should take our tithes and offerings. We should put it in the offering bucket in the other church and join them. Because if we don't believe that there is something more important that God wants to do, we should just be somewhere else. But if we believe it, we've got to get excited about it. We've got to live it. We've got to rise up for it and celebrate what God does and celebrate the healings and celebrate the changed life. Somebody came up to me this morning and said, you know, I was paid for last week and my addiction to smoking has been broken. You know, it works, it works better. The Holy Spirit is better than nicotinell or whatever they are. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, so I've got excited. I have no idea. I haven't started my notes yet. So here we go. Um, but this is my point. It's not about numbers. 
give me the names. Give me the names. I want to know who has been changed in your church. I want to know how many people's lives are different because they go to your church. Yeah, you'll be able to give me a few of your names, but actually, for most people in your church, you haven't a clue where they are, what they're doing, what they care about. People can come in, they can go out week to week. You never notice them, you never see them. Why? Because you're the guy on the platform behind the smoke machine. Trying to impress them with your carefully worked out sermon, with your remarkable oratory, and your visual illustrations. And failing that, we'll have a video. Then somebody else can do it. Why am I saying this? I'm saying this to provoke you, not to criticize. Okay? I'm saying it to provoke you. Because there's a really serious question in this. And this is what this series is about. Has the Holy Spirit and the power of God get any place in the church at all these days? Because honestly, we don't need him to build a church. We don't need him to be a successful church, honestly. Does he have any place? What's he there for? If you, if you can build a church of 15,000 or 500 or 700 or whatever, why do you need the Holy Spirit? And I don't mean like, let's talk about, let's mention him occasionally in a sermon. Why do you need to put your reputation on the line by paying for somebody to get healed in your, and, and not knowing whether they're going to get healed in front of the church? Why do you need to attempt the impossible when you can have a fundraising program? Why do you need the Holy Spirit? And that's so essential because I believe that the enemy has been really good at working out a plan to shut down the power of God that we were given. And he's done this. He's done it by removing our desire to move in the things of the Spirit. You see, a basic principle of Scripture is this, that... Um, you will not flow in the gifts of the Spirit and move in the power of God as long as you think they're optional. Listen to that. You won't move in the gifts of the Spirit or the power of God as long as you think they're optional. You see, the, 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 the gifts of the Spirit and the power of God are supernatural. They can't be achieved by you and, and you can't just do them. You know, you, you can't just turn around and say, well, you know, I fancy, I fancy a bit of tongues this morning. Let's do that. You can't. You, you've got to be hungry for it because it's an anointing of the Spirit. And an anointing of the Spirit comes to hungry people. If there's no hunger for the Spirit, there's no Spirit because it's a supernatural impartation and flow of the supernatural through you. And when we forget how the Spirit flows through us and to us, we become unable to move in the power of God. So what do we do? We take the power of God out in or, and, and, and do things that attract people. Give me their names. Give me those people's names. Who are they? What's going on in their life? What's God doing? Who are the sick? Bring me your sick. Bring me your deaf. Bring me your blind. Where are they? When's the last time you heard a pastor say that from the front of a church or whatever? I've been at a conference where they said it this week. <laughs> and people went forward and got healed and got set free and life changed. Where do you see it? Now, you've got to understand something here. And this is why 
I think it's easy for us to drift along from day to day, week to week, or even just give up, go somewhere else, whatever. You don't need to flow, I'm being honest with you, you don't need to flow in the gifts of the Spirit to be saved. You don't need to flow in the gifts of the Spirit or see the power of God to love God. You don't even need the gifts of the Spirit to be used by God. There's lots of people who are used by God based on the talents and gifts that he's put in them. But here's my problem. Well, this is not my problem, but when I was looking at this question of, like, do we still need the Holy Spirit? There's somebody I really love, and he's called Jesus. And Jesus had these, like, 12 guys, and he trained them up, and he sent them out, and they healed the sick, they raised the dead, they cleansed the leper, they cast out demons, they preached, they prophesied, they did all sorts of things. Jesus dies on the cross for us. He is resurrected, and before he goes back to heaven, these guys who've done all those things, he turns around to them and says, don't do anything because you can't be my witnesses until the power of the Holy Spirit's come on you. Now, I'd quite like to be in the category of the guys without the Holy Spirit who were raising the dead, classing out demons, cleansing lepers, and all that sort of stuff. But Jesus is saying, you won't be able to sustain that, nor will you be able to move in it, nor will you be my witnesses unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit. So don't do anything till you've got the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, if we applied that test to our church, where are we? If we apply that test to any church, where is it? If Jesus himself said, don't do anything until the power of the Holy Spirit has come upon you so that you can be my witnesses, and we apply that test, how does the church look and measure up against that? Because he didn't say anything. There was no other church building instructions. That was it. And that's a serious question, isn't it? Because it's so easy. It's so easy to look at the resource everybody else has. And it's so easy to see what other people can do and how much money they've got and all the rest of it. You know, like stood where I am, we, we need so many more people who can play instruments, worship lead, do PA, run PowerPoint. We need, we need so many more people. Why? Because we need to take out what is in here beyond a Sunday morning and take it out right across this county. But we can't because I'll burn my worship team out. I'll burn my PA out. I'll, I'll just, it just, we don't have enough bodies. So, so we have to rely and believe for God to provide. So it's a real question and you look and you go, well, other places can do so much. Here's the point. When people were touched by the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, everybody could tell. There was always a manifestation. They could see 
They could see lives are changed. They could see the power of God resting on people. They could see the glory of God. They could see tongues of fire. They, they, could, see, they could see people getting up off the ground healed. They could see people being raised from the dead. There was a manifestation of it. Now, if we apply that test to are we a charismatic church? Are we moving in what God wants us to move in? Where's the evidence because there always was evidence in the New Testament. There always was evidence. Let me, let me, let me fill you in on this. Okay, so let me get, you, get me a bit more excited. Why would you not want the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit operating in your church, in your life? Why, why wouldn't you? Because isn't it going to make everything a whole lot easier? Well, no, it doesn't. Because it's not a convenient theology. Because it actually requires you to do something that is beyond your ability to do. It requires you to do something that's beyond what you can do. I don't like that sort of theology. You know, most people don't like that. So we stick to what we can do. And... And we read organizational textbooks and leadership textbooks and how to grow your church textbook. And we go to theological seminaries that teach us how to grow our churches. And I've read them all. But Jesus had this idea. He didn't write a textbook. He said, don't do anything till the power of the Holy Spirit comes on you and he'll tell you what to do. He wrote a textbook. It's Acts 1.8, end of story. So... You see, here's the point. Right up and down this, this nation that Smith Wigglesworth has prophesied is about to break out in the biggest revival this, country, this, this nation has ever seen. Guys, does it not occur to you all the other four bits have happened? We are about to break out in the biggest revival this nation has ever seen. And I don't want it anywhere else. I want to, I want to be part of that. It's what I've lived my life for since I was a teenager. I have believed there's a destiny for this nation and it's not Muslim. It's not Buddhist. It's not atheist. It's Christian. And there's a destiny for this city because the Reformation started here and the missionary movement started and the charismatic movement started here and this move of God will be here too. And the point's this, that Anybody can talk about Jesus. Anybody. You know, with half, a ache, well, half, a, half an inch of brain can actually do a talk. If you're no good at just talking, you can put the slides up and follow your bullet points you, and you can have some training. Anybody can do motivational speaking. Anybody can say things that will make you feel better. Anybody can actually preach the gospel. I'm not saying churches don't preach the gospel. I'm saying they are preaching the gospel, but without the power of the gospel. And this is what Jesus says, and it's something that's really stunning. And he says this. He basically says, I'll paraphrase it and I'll show you it, okay? He says, anybody can come along and say, this is God talking and this is the gospel. Anybody can come and do that. They can come along and say, I'm speaking what God's given me to speak. I've, I've put my sermon together and this is the gospel. 
So I'm not saying this. This is Jesus saying it. I'm going to show you. And he says, anybody can do that. In fact, everybody does do it. But he said, there's no proof that's from God. Without the proof of signs and wonders, don't believe those guys, is what he said. Without the proof of signs and wonders that go with them claiming this is God speaking, don't believe it. In fact, he says something even more radical than that. He says, without the signs and wonders, don't believe me. Don't believe Jesus. It's that important. Let's have a look. John 5, verse 31. If I bear witness of myself, so if Jesus says, this is me, I'm God, I'm telling you this. He said, my witness isn't true. In other words, what that word witness, it's like a testimony in court. That's the way it's translated, court record of testimony. And he's basically saying, if, if I say something and I just swear and say myself, it's true, so you need to listen to it, or this is true, he said, I could be lying. You need, he's saying, it's not true, or it doesn't stand up to scrutiny. There is no evidence that goes with it, so don't pay any attention. What if we apply that test to ourselves? This is then he goes on to say, there's another who bears witness to me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses, there's a lot of words, of me is true. You've sent John, that's John the Baptist, and he bore witness to the truth. Some translations, he, he bore witness to the words that I spoke. Yet I don't get testimony from man. In other words, thanks, John, it was great. You said I was telling the truth. Uh, I've said I'm telling the truth, but it's not enough. Because everybody says that, don't they? Somebody knocking at your door and tell you're telling the truth. You can't tell the difference between a JW and a double glazing salesman. Because they both say they're telling you the truth, but one has a finance agreement. I don't receive testimony from a man, but I, say, I know I'm being provocative. But that is to shake you. Okay, you've got to get this. Because this is, this is the ter- we have a turning point in the history of this nation. And we are at a turning point of a move of God. And I believe that with all my heart. And we have to get this. We have to, we have to get out of our chairs and believe this. Take it into ourselves and be it. So it says, yeah, I don't receive testimony from a man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was... He, John the Baptist, was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for, for a time to listen to him, to bask in his light. You know, When he was the superstar, everybody wanted to know him. When he's in prison, about to have his head chopped off, there's nobody there. You know, We have superstar pastors. When they're in prison for tax fraud, there's nobody there. It works like that. But I have a greater witness than John the Baptist. Now, Jesus said John the Baptist was the greatest prophet who ever lived. So he's got a greater witness than John the Baptist. And here is it. For the works which the Father has given to me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. So Jesus is saying this. Anyone can say anything. It doesn't mean it's true. The only way you can know that this is from God is if there are Signs, wonders, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of God associating with it. If it isn't, even applying to myself, me, Jesus, don't listen. Now, that's strong, isn't it? Isn't that strong? I, 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 I don't know. I, I wonder, like, I wonder for myself when I read that, do I just, like, dismiss it and go, oh, 
Yeah, let's move on to the next verses. Let's go on to, let's have a look at another one. John chapter 10, verse 24, 25. This is what that says. The Jews surrounded him and said to him, how long do you keep us in doubt? In other words, explain yourself, Jesus. Who are you really? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you who I was and you didn't believe me. So they're going, oh, he's never told us. He's never told us. Yeah, he has. When he raised the dead, when he healed the sick, when he delivered people from demons, when he set the oppressed free, when he preached, when he, when he cleansed the lepers, he told them who he was. I told you and didn't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, it's them that tell you I am. They bear witness to who I am. They're, they're, they're the badge I carry that say, Jesus, Messiah, Christ, I'm the one. Let's see what he says just a little bit further on. If I don't do the works of my Father, don't believe me. Faith life, if we don't do the works, people shouldn't believe us. Apply that test to the church. Apply that test to any church. That's the test Jesus applies to the authenticity of his own ministry. If I do, though, you don't, if I do, though you don't believe me, believe the works. So don't, if you don't believe what I said, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father's in me and I in him. It's the works again. Now, you can put Mark chapter 2, verse 9 up just further. Do you remember right at the start of Jesus' ministry, they brought this, this paralytic in. And they laid him down in front of Jesus. And they're clearly expecting Jesus to heal him. And he says something off the chart. He, d he doesn't say, get up, you're healed. He says, my son, your sins are forgiven. And what happens? All these Pharisees, all these Sadducees, everybody is there. They all go apoplectic. Like, only God can forgive sins. Only God forgives sins. You, it's heresy. Let's, you know, let's, let's have him crucified. Let, you know, how can he, how can he say that? And Jesus says this. He said, what is easier to say? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or get off your bed and walk? Now, get the point. What's it easier to say? It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven, isn't it? Because there's no evidence. There's no evidence of your authority to forgive sins. You can say anything you like. It's easy to say things. It's, it would have been easy for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, and nobody could have said, yes, that's right or wrong. Jesus could have just been forgiving somebody. It's easy to say things. It's not easy right in front of a crowd of people to say, get off your bed and walk, and go, whoa, I wonder if he's going to get up. You know, it's not easy because... It takes a miracle to do that. It takes the power of God to do that. You can't just say it. People need to see it. Are you getting this? Okay, let me have a look, let me have a look at another reason why we need to move in the power of God and where that word and spirit come together. So this is the word bit, okay? Word and spirit coming together. Um, let's go to Matthew chapter 10. He's sending out his disciples, and he says, as you go, preach. There we are. That's it, isn't it? Guys, we're finished. You can all go. Anybody notice something about that? I said it a couple of weeks ago. Anybody notice something? 
There's no full stop, is there, as you go preach? What, what, why do we think we can do church that stops there? Because that's what we're doing. We're playing at church. Okay, as you go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What's that mean? The kingdom of heaven is invading this reality. The kingdom of heaven is invading your life. The kingdom of heaven is coming right into this situation now and is about to change it. The kingdom of heaven is in the business of changing your body. He's in the business of setting you free. It's in the business of delivering you. The kingdom of heaven is invading, invading the reality we see to bring reality of heaven to earth. That's, that's what he sends the disciples out to do. That's what he still sends the church to do, to invade the reality of this this, this place that we dwell in, this natural place, and bring the reality of heaven to earth. And what does the reality of heaven to earth look like? The kingdom of heaven is that. Heal the sick, that's the reality of heaven. Cleanse the lepers, reality of heaven. Raise the dead, there's no death in heaven. Cast out demons, they've got no place in heaven. We, we are imposing heaven on earth. And that's what Jesus tells the disciples to do. He says, freely you receive, freely give. Now, if you've been on uh, Rock Solid, you know that I talk quite a lot about this word salvation. And if you've been on Rock Solid, you now know the answer to this question, which is, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to not be lost, but to be saved? Well, you gave your life to Jesus, and you had your sins forgiven, and you're going to heaven one day. No, that's part of what it means to be saved. The word saved is sozo. And that means healed, saved from uh, punishment. It means made whole. It means protected. It means provided for. It means delivered from. It means set free. It means, basically means your whole life has changed. So when we just go and preach, we are not preaching the gospel. That's the point. The gospel isn't just, let's get some people in the kingdom and fill some seats up. The gospel's everything. Do you understand that? Okay, I know I'm shouting. <laughs> I'm shouting. But this is my life. This is, this is what I was born for. This message is what I was born for. And... And I can't do it any other way. There isn't a nice, soft, touchy-feely way of waking the church up. There isn't a nice, soft, touchy-feely way of waking me up. How do I, how I wake me up? What do I do? I go and I shout and, and worship in the office when there's nobody there. I, I worship at traffic lights in my car. I go to conferences. I get paid for by Heidi Baker and John Arnott and anybody else who wants to stick their hand on me and say something. I do it. Why? Because I'm hungry to see this in my life. Because when I opened my Bible, that's the Jesus I saw. That's the gospel he gave us. We are not just preachers. We are not just chair fillers. We are not organization builders. We are not businessmen. We are not professionals. We are power carriers. We are light carriers. Hebrews 2. Let's go to Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2 says this. Okay. Oh, it's long. <laughs> <laughs> Therefore, 
Therefore, wake up, church. We've got to pay attention. We've got to give this the most earnest need, heed for the things we've heard. Why? Lest we drift away. Like all those churches that left all the churches because they discovered the power of the Spirit and decided that 10, 30 years later they'd be just like the churches they left but be better music. <laughs> Honestly, that's it, isn't it? One hour, ten minutes. Anglican, Baptist, charismatic, seeker-sensitive, purpose-driven, one hour, ten minutes. Exactly like the churches they all fled from with better music and better lights and better hip clothing. You've got to have the hip clothing for the gospel. Okay, I'm being provocative. I know I don't wear hip clothing. I know I'm a little bit overweight, but, you know, I'm increasing my capacity to, to carry the Holy Spirit. You know, the, the, the Bible says that the anointing of God makes fat. I'm working on it. Sorry, he didn't know where that came from. <laughs> anyway, if the word speak, spoken through the angels proves steadfast, every transgression, disobedience received, just reward. How will we escape if we neglect so great a sozo? If we neglect so great a sozo, how will we escape if we neglect forgiveness of sins, but healing, wholeness, protection, deliverance, provision, setting free, being raised again at the second court? How will we escape and not drift away if we neglect it. This isn't about a let's have a nice life. This is about how do you not drift away? How do you stand when the opposition hits this church? How do you stand when we start seeing Muslim after Muslim and Buddhist after Buddhist and atheist after atheist saved and they kick back and the enemy kicks back? How are you going to stand? How are you going to stand when it's illegal to preach the sort of stuff I'm preaching this morning? Because that's what he's saying. He's saying, you won't if you neglect sozo, the fullness of what God has for you. God, and what he does, he equates that gospel called sozo with God bearing witness with signs and wonders. The two go together. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. The two go together. The two go together. In Jesus' ministry and the followers of Jesus' ministry, they go together. You can't live compromised like that. It only happens, it only works for those who believe the gifts aren't optional. It only works for those who say, I need the power of God. The power of God is not optional. I'll sacrifice my career. I'll sacrifice what people think of me. I'll sacrifice the fact that I might not have a, a massive church. I'll sacrifice it all for that. Because I believe there's more than that. I believe there's more than going to church. Guys, Honestly, if you were out doing this all week, I will let you off coming to church next Sunday. You don't need to come. You know more than I do. I'll stand here. I'll preach to myself. I'll go, Mark, what do you think of this? Well, I think that's a brilliant point, Mark. You know, I can do that. Are you with me? Point number three. Point number three. <laughs> 1 Corinthians. Paul says something really incredible. He's uh, just 
actually failed to achieve very much in Athens by debating for week after week and coming up with great arguments. Paul was one of the greatest intellectuals who ever lived, if not the greatest. And he enters this debate with these guys in Athens and he presents it every which way but loose. You know, he, he, he comes at it from left, right, debates with them. And at the end of it all, he said, there's a few people who were changed, but everybody else said, come back and debate with us next week. And so he then goes on to Corinth and, and he has a massive move of God in Corinth. What's the difference? This is the difference. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in trembling. I'm not relying on my oratory ability anymore, on my intellectual ability, on my great presentation skills, on my slick movements. I'm not relying on any of that. My speech and preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom. Why? But in demonstration of the spirit and power, Where's the demonstration of spirit and power these days, guys? We've got to be hungry for this. Got to be hungry for it. You see, faith doesn't rest on the wisdom of men. It rests on the power of God. Faith that rests on the wisdom of men will change with the wisdom of men. Faith that rests on the latest trend, the hippest way of doing things, will change with the hippest way of doing things. It's because he's not resting on a rock called the power of God. And he's building his church, his real church. What is it that makes a minister a minister? What's it, what makes a pastor a pastor? If I said, well, you know, like, what's your qualification to be a pastor? What's my qualification to be a pastor? I could go well, to Bible school, I went to Bible school twice, I did all this, I've studied for years, I've done this, I've been to, you know, I've trained in uh, presentation skills, I've read all these books on leadership, that's my qualification to be a pastor. Is it? Oh, I belong to the domination. That's a good, good, always a good qualification. What does Jesus say, or well, what does Paul say about what accredits a pastor? What, what makes a pastor a pastor? Let's have a look at 2 Corinthians. This is Paul saying, this is why, guys, you need to pay attention to what I'm saying and what, not, not what everybody else is saying who claims to be following Jesus. Because I'm accredited by the word of truth, by the power of God, by the arm of righteousness in the right hand and the left. All Corinthians, we have spoken openly, our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. Now, in return for the same, I speak to you as children. You also be open to me. Okay. Here's the point. The job, basically, is a full-time Christian. Like, any, anybody here, like, decides between two and three o'clock every day they're not going to be a Christian? <laughs> or they're not a Christian while they're asleep? Are you full-time Christians? Yes. So therefore, we're in full-time ministry. Yes. If you're a full-time Christian, you're in full-time ministry. There's a paradigm shift for you. You're not in full-time work, you're in full-time ministry. Work's your mission field. You're a full-time Christian. So we're here. And what Paul's saying is this, this is why you should listen to me, guys, because those guys over there who are teaching you different things and saying different things and saying you don't need this, you don't need that, you don't need to do that, or you do need to do this, you do need to do that, you can ignore them. Because this is my accreditation. 
I could say I was the best Pharisee. I could say I've had all this Bible school. I could say I've done it. What's my accreditation? The power of God. Now, you argue with me now. The point is this, that when, we, when God wants to deal with some, something in the hearts of a person, so let's say he wants to deal with something in Bob right now. Bob's heart, because he, he's had that problem for years, is hard. Because he doesn't want to deal with it. And what Paul's saying is, this is what's going to open up Bob to li listen to me. Because he doesn't want to listen to anybody. Because he doesn't want to change. But Paul's saying, you'll have to listen to me and you'll have to change because the power of God is evident in my life and you're not going to be able to deny that. And it's going to rock you until you listen. Are you getting the point? Okay. You see, other religions manage to grow without the power of the Spirit. Have you thought about that? They do. They, they, they grow without this. You can grow. Other people can, despite contrary opinion, people can be persuaded into the kingdom by logical argument, which is a good job because that's what we spend most of our time, most of our money on, and stock most of the bookshelves in Christian bookshops. Argument. And we hit a tiny little proportion of the population who are interested in arguing with us. We don't hit anybody else because most people aren't bothered about arguing. They're too busy going to Tesco. They're not bothered. They're too busy at work. They're not arguing with anybody. In fact, they're not even going to talk to you next to the coffee machine because they don't want to talk to you. But some people are persuaded in the kingdom. So why do you need the Holy Spirit? You see, we can achieve a lot as a church. I, I, I'm going to tell you that. We can achieve a lot of that as a church. What we could do is we could spend all our reserves and some more, and then I could do sort of like, I don't know, let's have a monthly special offering, and we could do that, and, and we could have extra rotor duties, and, and we could achieve lots, and we could go and find ourselves, uh, you know, better this, better that. We could do, we could do a lot. And... Guys, what I'm offering you is we can grow. Is that what you want? Do you want to grow? Do you want to change the nation? There's your choice. Growing is easy if you've got the resource. It's not easy if you don't. That leaves us in a situation. The first thing is this. That if we choose growing, what we are doing is we are postponing until heaven most of the gospel. Because we ain't going to teach in healing. And probably nobody will get healed because we don't pray for them, because we don't know how to pray for them. We've no desire to pray for them because we're growing. And we're not going to teach how to prophesy and speak words into people's lives. It's just going to change them in a minute. Because you've not been taught, you've got no opportunity. It never happens. And yeah, we say you do it in life groups, but everybody's forgot how to do it. And nobody's hungry to do it because the church is growing. And, and yeah, you can pray in tongues, but just not in the service because we don't want you to put anybody off. And you can pray in tongues, well, perhaps not in life group because you might have an unbeliever who comes in your life group, so you can't do that either. So there. But we're growing, so it's okay. And, and you come and somebody's like troubled and they've got nightmares and they're in fear all the time. And, 
and, the, and you just can't get a handle on them. And they, they seem to like just switch back and forwards and they go from left to right and, and just upset and highs and lows. And you can't do anything to help them because you haven't a clue what is going on. And they sit there for 10 years in your life group and you haven't a clue what you're going on. And we go, oh my God, a basket case in my life group. Oh, I wish I was in a different life group. Because there's no power to change that person's life because you need to kick a demon out. You don't get it. But we're growing, so we don't care, do we? Yes, we care, because we have a choice to make, because we are at a turning point in history. Do we go for growth, or do we go for changing history? Because we've got a whole lot more than 12 people who did change history, and they did it by the power of God. And I don't want to postpone things to heaven, because honestly, guys, nobody needs saving in heaven. Nobody needs healing in heaven. Nobody needs delivering in heaven. Nobody needs prophesying in heaven. Nobody needs setting free in heaven. Because he's done. So if we wait till there, we don't get a chance to have a go. How disappointing is that? There's a guy, some of you might have heard him, called T.L. Osborne. He was a, a great evangelist to the nations in Africa and India. Um, probably of the 1960s, 1970s generation, mainly. And he went on to the mission field, and it, it just struck me because Heidi was telling a very similar story at the conference I just made. Heidi Baker was telling a similar story. On the mission field, for years and years, working really hard, like just completely burnt out, health suffering, not doing, you know, just, and nobody got saved. And, it, and it, he's, he's in a debate one day, and he's ready to give up. And, and he's debating with this, this Muslim guy. And this Muslim guy says, okay, well, you're telling me Jesus says that. And I'm telling you, my black book says this. So I'm going to believe what my black book says, and you believe what your black book says. How do, I, how do I know what's real? So I'm going to keep on believing my black book. And T.L. Osborne, he, he, was a, he was a very intellectual man and he carried on discussing and debating with this guy and he got nowhere because this guy's gone, well, why is your black book better than my black book? So T.L. Osborne and, and his wife, they don't have names like this anymore, do they? Daisy. <laughs> went back home. And God spoke to him and said, your ministry rests on the power that I give you, not on the black book. And so he went back in the mission field and millions were saved because he demonstrated miracles. And God, you know, T.L. Osborne would be preaching and he'd be preaching to crowds and people would start holding up their wheelchairs and their walking sticks and they'd start carrying their wheelchairs and putting them on the stage. The person got out of the wheelchair picked their wheelchair up and carried it to the stage. And T.L.'s, but you can see pictures of it. He's got like all these walking canes hanging next to his, uh, hanging next to the where people have put them in, in wheelchairs. Why? Because the power of God can change things where debate doesn't. Preaching will only get us so far. Preaching will attract people, but it won't necessarily change people. The power of God is what changes people. And so, I want you to, I want to finish with this, and then uh, we're just going to see what God does. I put a little acronym out there, and somebody didn't like my acronym, but I'm going to use it anyway. 
So my acronym is this. Basically, unfortunately for us, because it's not a convenient theology, and it might put a few church people off. By the way, it never puts the lost off because they're born into it. It didn't put Becky off. Becky didn't come in and say, I'm not, I'm not going to become a Christian because I'm surrounded by crazy people. She came in and said, I want to be a Christian because look what's happening. Look what God's doing. Look what God's doing. You know, we worry about all these things. And all we're worried about is what if people aren't filling the chairs in our church? Well, if they don't want to fill the church in our, chairs in our church, it's okay. They can go somewhere else. Because those chairs are needed by the people who now aren't in wheelchairs. So this is what I'm saying. So Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming that we are seeing it. We're seeing a little bit. We're seeing bits and pieces, and, and we, we go up, and we come down, and we go up, and we come down, and we see more, and see. And that, you see, if all the elements of Smith Wills of prophecy have come true, that last one's going to come true. And I'm going to see it. So right now, where we are is that there's things happen through this ministry, through faith life, that can't be explained in human terms. But I'm not stopping until we see the things that the disciples saw with that regularity. And more, because we do the greater works. Amen. Way to go, Becky. Are, are, are you understanding this? Because I'm, I'm doing this from the Word. You know, I haven't lost my brain. This is what Jesus says. This is what the Apostle Paul says. They're cleverer than me. Just, just get that concept. Just, just think about that for a minute. And then you can say it after me. Surprisingly, Surprisingly. Jesus, Jesus is cleverer than I am. Amen. Oh, That's something to celebrate, isn't it? So this, this, this is where I want to finish. Somewhere we have to find within ourselves or ask God to give us it, the desire to go beyond, it'll be just nice if it happens. We live in this land called it'll be nice if it happens. It'd be nice if faith life was involved in this revival at Smith Wiggles' prophecy. It'd be nice if we saw people get out of wheelchairs. Well, of course it'd be nice. Better than not nice, isn't it? But what are we going to do? You see, if it's just, it's nice if it happens, if it's just optional, if we don't see our need for it, it'll never happen. Because the Holy Spirit responds to one thing. It's called hunger. And we have an enemy. And, you know, quite frankly, that enemy has tried to take me out. He's tried to take me out several times over the last couple of years, and he's failed. Now, the point's this. If we have an enemy and he tries to take us out, that means to see... God display his glory and his power, we're going to have to contend for it. Now, what's contending? Because you can get all sort of wound up, well, isn't that works and not grace and all that stuff. What's contending? 
contending is this. How did, let me put it this way, you've got to hear this. Because there's so much, like, we've got to contend for it. Pressing, pressing, contend, contend, contend. Okay? That is works. This is what contending is. You see, God imparts, when you, when you look at the, the, the pattern in the New Testament, because what we're after is being full of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? Yeah? So, when we're full of the Holy Spirit, we can do things that we couldn't do before. That's, that's what we're after. So, uh, Sorry, I forgot my acronym. <laughs> is this trog? Trog. That's why he doesn't like it. Trog. You see, Jesus calls us to a gospel that lives in the impossible, not the possible. It's possible to build a church, but he's called us a gospel that lives in the impossible. And the only way you can do the impossible is not relying on yourself but relying on God. So the only way we can do this is trog, which is total reliance on God. Everything we do is totally relying on God, totally relying on him for everything. Why? Because we can't do it. Because we've decided we're not going to stay in the land of the possible anymore. We're going to move into the land of the impossible. And if I try and do the impossible with my own ability, what am I going to do? I'm going to fall flat on my face. So I want total reliance on God to be able to do it. And I have to contend for that in my life because the stuff in me says, yeah, I want it to be about me. And that's what contending is. Because it's got to be about him. And I'm not contending to get something. I am contending to position my heart so it's not about me. And when it's not about me, it becomes about him. And suddenly I don't care attempting the impossible because if I fall flat on the face, it wasn't about me anyway. You know, somebody stole that, they, they stole it, that it's not about you. It's about Jesus. It's about him having your heart. So trog, I like trog. Who likes trog? Who's on my side? Okay. Right. So here's the, here's the last thing, because you've got to hear this, because this will unlock a lot of things for you. When people received an impartation of the Spirit in the New Testament, they only ever received it in two ways. Through prayer and through the laying on of hands. You don't get the Holy Spirit any other way. So when we contend, what are we doing? We are praying and laying down our lives before God and crying out to him and saying, God, come fill me because... I want to step into this land called the impossible. I want to step into this land called the impossible. And right now, God, I'm in the way. And, and I, I'm not going to stop, and I'm not going to let go of this until I'm out of the way and you fill me, because I don't want to live like this anymore. Because the longer I live like this, I'm more tempted to go and join that other church and, and give them my money. You know, the, I don't want to live like this anymore. I want to live in the land of the impossible. So to do that, God, you're going to have to do something with me and you're going to have to change me so I want it more. Yeah. And that it's, I get me out the way and you fill me. Yeah. And that's contending. Yeah. And the other thing about contending is 
it's not being embarrassed to come to the front and get hands laid on you. And we go, oh, well, I've had that done, I've had that done. Well, maybe you have. I know people who've had it done hundreds of times. Hundreds of times they've had hands laid on. In fact, I've laid hands on some of them. I've laid hands on the craziest people. I've laid hands on Heidi Baker. I've laid hands on Roland. I've laid hands on John Arner. I've laid hands on Randy Clark. Some of the greatest men of God of our generation are still hungry and still come forward for everything they can get because they know that's what's contending because if they stop, if they stop wanting more, they drift away and they neglect so great a salvation. You getting it? How many people are hot? How many people are hotter than the room temperature? <laughs> All right, you come to the front of the queue. Yeah. Okay, so I'm just going to lay hands on people in faith. All I'm doing is asking the Holy Spirit to impart to them. They've contended because they've come forward. 